A man once joked that his wife was such a perfectionist that when he got up in the night, he'd often come back to find his side of the bed remade. He claimed that she was so compulsive about messes that she even put newspapers under the cuckoo clock. We laugh about the quirks of perfectionists, but perfectionists can develop serious problems in their Christian lives. Spiritual perfectionism leads to bondage, and that is no joking matter. Many Christians live in bondage not so much to others as to themselves. They are like the Alabama slave in 1864 after President Lincoln proclaimed the Emancipation Proclamation. The slave was asked what he thought about Abraham Lincoln. He said, I don't know nothing about Abraham Lincoln except they say he set us free, and I don't know nothing about that either. A lot of Christians may be free by the proclamation of the Lord, but they have never experienced freedom in their daily lives because they are in bondage to perfectionism. Are you one of those Christians? Here are some questions to test your bondage level in the Christian life. Are you driven internally by the need to be perfect? Does the fear of failure ever stop you from trying something new or even continuing what you are doing now? Do you judge yourself and your worth by your achievements or your performance? Do you ever feel guilty when you fail to be perfect? Do you ever despair of feeling forgiven for your failures? If you answered yes to any of those questions, you are in bondage to yourself. You are also in good company because many Christians have struggled with these questions since the time of Paul. My friends, Christ came to set you free from the bondage of a performance mentality in life. Always having to prove yourself to God to yourself and to others, is a burden Christ offers to lift from your shoulders by his grace. The book of Galatians deals with these very issues. Paul teaches us about our freedom in Christ in this epistle. We are born to be free. The message of Galatians is simple. Freedom comes by faith in Christ. Freedom comes by faith in Christ. Simple, right? But oh, how we struggle with this simple concept. Galatians has been called the battle cry of the Reformation, the Magna Carta of Christian liberty, and the Christian Declaration of Independence. Martin Luther loved this epistle more than any other. He was plagued by guilt and depression because his conscience told him he was a sinner, a failure, without hope of forgiveness. Luther despaired of ever finding forgiveness from God because he could not be good enough for God. Then Luther discovered 
the principles of freedom in the book of Galatians for the first time, even though he had taught the book for many years. He was free by faith in the grace of Christ, not his religious performance. He was forgiven by faith, not works. Years later, he wrote about Galatians. He said, It is my epistle to which I have plighted my troth, my Katie. You see, Katie was his wife, Katie von Bora. So he was saying that he was in love with Galatians. And I hope, I hope you will fall in love with the Lord all over again as we study this great little book together. I want to begin with an overview of the letter of the, to the Galatians. We can divide the book, the entire letter, into five segments as Paul develops the theme of our freedom in Christ. The first segment, Galatians 1, 1 through 10, is the foundation for freedom is grace. The foundation for freedom is grace. Paul begins his letter with grace in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, my friends. What did God give us that we do not deserve? Well, look at Galatians 1 verse 4. Christ gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. We did not deserve it. We did not earn it. We have no merit of our own. We are sinners, but God's grace sent Christ to die for us. Why? The goal of the cross is deliverance. He died to deliver us. He died to rescue us from this evil world system. Why? Because God wants all the glory for what he does in and through us. Look at verse 5 where Paul exults, To whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. The cross is the glory of God. Any enemy of grace is an enemy of the cross. When we maximize anything, our abilities, our programs, our ministries, our achievements, we minimize the cross. Often, the worst enemies of the cross sit right in our own pews or preach in our pulpits on Sunday mornings. Notice verse 6. I am amazed, Paul says, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Paul is shocked at how quickly the Galatians went AWOL from the grace of Christ. Perfectionism and a performance mentality corrupted the gospel of Christ and turned believers into deserters. You say, but Dave... I'm not an enemy of the cross of Christ. Yes, we all are, if we ever give the impression that we must be perfect to be right with God. Pastor Chuck Swindoll years ago called perfectionists grace killers. 
But the biggest grace killers are not who you might think they are. The biggest grace killers are some of the best church members. They are even well-known pastors. Grace killers make great Christian leaders and highly successful preachers. They are driven to accomplish much, driven to make things happen, driven to build big ministries. Grace killers are often successful people with good careers who are miserable inside trying to live up to their own expectations of what a Christian should be. Grace killers give the impression that God only uses perfect people. My friends, the truth is that God only uses imperfect people. And until you learn that lesson, you will never be free from a performance mentality. I've been there, working so hard to make things happen, to be good enough for God, and feeling validated by my achievements, not by His grace. I still can fall into that trap sometimes. But I want to tell you something vital for your Christian lives. Grace is the foundation for freedom. When I remember my own unworthiness, then I can be free in His grace. The most liberating experience in all the world is to rest in Christ's grace rather than my success. Paul's first segment lays the foundation for our freedom in God's grace. In the second segment of the letter, Paul tells us the source for freedom is Christ. The source for freedom is Christ. Chapter 1, verse 11, through chapter 2, verse 21. Let me read just a few verses from this extended section of the letter to help us get the big picture. Galatians 1, 11 and 12, the first two verses in this segment. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then at the very end of this segment, we find Galatians 2, 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. I want you to notice one critical principle in these verses. And here it is. I live by faith in Christ who lives in me. I live by faith in Christ who lives in me. Friends, it is his life. It is his service. It is his church. It is his ministry. It is his work. It is his achievements. Christ does it all through us who put our trust in his work. The source for living the Christian life is Jesus Christ. I asked God years ago, early in my ministry, to set me free from my own ambition. I know me. 
I know how driven I am by the desire for success. It is a daily battle. But no ministry should be a ministry that any human built. It is God's ministry, and he may build it differently than I want to do it. So I tell the Lord often now, Lord, I'm along for the ride. Go where you want to go. I'll ride the wave of your spirit as far as he goes. It's you and your work in and through me. We, are, we allow ourselves to be in bondage to the idea that we must generate the ministry. We must be perfect. That we must accomplish things if we are to be successful in God's eyes. This attitude, this spirit, is the Messiah complex. Perhaps we all have it to some extent, and we can even make it sound so spiritual. We are going to save the world for Christ, as if Christ needs our help and expertise. We are going to burn out for Jesus, which is exactly what we do, and it's all for nothing, but because it's all of our effort. We become like the guy who twirls glass plates on little poles scattered around a platform. We rush around trying to keep all those plates spinning and afraid that one of those plates will come crashing down. We have to keep all our plates as parents, plates as employees, plates as family and ministry. We have to keep all those plates spinning. So we rush from home to work to church trying to do it all. We must fulfill our responsibilities for, for prayer, for Bible study, for witnessing to the community and service in the church until we collapse in a heap from sheer exhaustion. Where does it all end? When can we be satisfied? My friends, if we could ever do it all perfectly, we wouldn't need a Savior. If we could ever do it on our own, we wouldn't need Christ. No, my friends, the source for freedom is Christ. He enables us to do what he wants done. There is only one Messiah, and it isn't me, and it isn't you. We've looked at the foundation We've looked at the source for freedom, and now we look at the rationale in this third segment of the epistle. The rationale for freedom is theological, chapter 3, verse 1, through chapter 5, verse 1. At its core, all problems of Christian living stem from bad theology. Good theology is the foundation for good Christian living, and bad theology is the foundation for bad living. What we believe has a direct impact on what we do. Doctrine determines practice. I find that we as Christians have a great tendency to believe theological lies. One of the biggest theological lies is that I must be perfect to be accepted by God. It is a bald-faced lie of the devil. The truth is that I must be forgiven 
to be accepted by God. Do you see what we have done? Do you see how we have taken a good desire to be accepted by God, to be approved by God, and we have turned it into a bad motive for life? I must be perfect. I must do it all. The lie of perfectionism leads to the chains of guilt. The truth is that I can never be perfect, so I must trust his grace to be accepted by God. Paul launched into an extended theological argument for our Christian freedom in the middle chapters of this letter. There are four parts to his theological argument, which I will just summarize in this message. The first part, we see the argument from conversion in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. The essence of Paul's argument in these first verses in chapter 3 is that justification determines sanctification. How you were converted determines how you must live. Paul asks in Galatians 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? If we are saved by grace through faith, then we live the Christian life by grace through faith as well. To put it in reverse, we cannot be saved by our good works, so we cannot live the Christian life by our good works either. We are born free, so we must live free. Paul then moves to his second theological argument, the argument from contrast, chapter 3, verse 7, through chapter 4, verse 11. Works sanctification, works sanctification, is just as bad as works justification. We tend to be pretty clear on how a person must be saved by grace through faith. But we tend to be pretty fuzzy on how we live the Christian life. So Paul develops three contrasts in this section to show us that the way of faith is far superior to the way of works for living the Christian life. The contrasts are faith versus law, chapter 3, verses 7 to 14, faith versus law. Second contrast, promise versus law, chapter 3, verse 15 to 20, verses 15 to 22, promise versus law. And the third contrast is sons versus slaves in chapter 3, verse 23 through chapter 4, verse 11 sons versus slaves. Faith versus law, promise versus law, sons versus slaves. The third argument is the argument from relationships in chapter 4, verses 12 through 20. Paul then appeals to them to follow his lead because of their past and present relationship with him in Christ. He is motivated by love to speak to them in this way. Our relationships in Christ are part of the argument for Christianity. We need models of the Christian life to show us how to put it into practice. 
And then finally we see the argument from analogy in chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. Paul continues his argument with an illustration drawn from the Old Testament. He uses Sarah, the free woman, and Hagar, the slave woman, as illustrations to build his theological case. The basic point he makes in this section is that bondage comes from the law and freedom comes from faith. As long as we try to make it on our own, we are living as children of bondage. As long as we insist on perfection and cannot abide imperfection, then we will live in bondage. Freedom comes when we accept our imperfections and trust God's grace for his forgiveness instead of trying to earn his love by being as perfect as we can be. The only way to experience freedom is by faith in Christ's work, not our works. It's a daily faith, a constant determination to live each moment in the grip of his grace. That's why Paul sums up this wonderful section with Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. If you have been set free from your perfectionism by the grace of Christ, do not again enslave yourself to the self-righteousness of self-perfection. That's the way of bondage and slavery all over again. We are free, my friends, free in Christ. Paul has laid out for us the foundation, the source, and the rationale for our freedom in Christ. Now we see the application of freedom is practical in chapter 5, verse 2, through chapter 6, verse 10. The fourth segment, the application of freedom is practical. If I am free, then I can do anything I want to do, right? Wrong. Now Paul is going to bring this whole issue down to where we live and breathe. Christian liberty is not the freedom to do whatever I please. Christian liberty is the freedom to do whatever pleases Christ. It was Augustine who famously said, Love God and do as you please. Love God and do as you please. I like that quote, and I suppose that if we could always love God perfectly, then we could always do as we please, because whatever we please would please God. However, we don't love God perfectly, so it isn't always true. Paul deals extensively with the issue of liberty and legalism in these verses, so we had better define those terms before we start. These terms get misused so often that we can easily become confused. So let me briefly define them. Legalism. Legalism. Legalism is the use of the law to be righteous before God. 
to earn his approval. Legalism is not the presence of rules, for then God would be a legalist. Legalism is the improper use of those rules to achieve God's acceptance, God's approval of us. Liberty. Liberty is the use of faith to be righteous before God. Liberty is not the absence of rules or the absence of law. That would be anarchy. No country, no organization or church can function without law. No. In liberty, we focus on trusting God, the Holy Spirit, to produce in us what is acceptable to God. As Paul writes in Galatians 5 and verse 16, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Again, Paul says in Galatians 5.25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Christian liberty is the capacity to live out what he lives in. The Holy Spirit produces in us the righteousness we need to live for God. So we must live out what he lives in, and we do this by faith. The difference has to do with the dynamics of our spiritual lives. Does righteousness come from adherence to external rules or from an internal change by the Holy Spirit of God? We too often believe the lie that righteousness produces relationship. A reasoning goes something like this. If I am a good person, then I will have a good relationship with God. If I sin or fail, then the Lord will not accept me. He will not approve me. God is perfect and expects perfection from me. Since I sin frequently, I cannot have a good relationship with God because my relationship is dependent upon what I do. Therefore, I must get my life in order so that the Lord will accept me. My friends, that series of lies warps many lives. It is not true that righteousness produces relationship. The truth is that relationship produces righteousness. It's the opposite of what we think. I do not need to be perfect so that he will accept me. Instead, he accepts me in Christ even though I am not perfect. My relationship with Christ produces the righteousness God requires. The result is that I live out what he lives in. We focus on the externals, but the externals are the result, not the cause of our relationship with God. The externals are the result of the internal change, and without the internal change, all the externals in the world do not accomplish anything God values. Finally, we must learn the boast of freedom is the cross. Chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. The boast of freedom is the cross. 
Listen to Paul's personal testimony in the last segment of this great letter. In Galatians 6.14, Paul says, May it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Then Paul ends the letter with these final words in Galatians 6.18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. The book of Galatians starts with grace and ends with grace. The book of Galatians begins with the cross and ends with the cross. The Christian has only one boast and it is the cross of Christ. We cannot boast in our abilities. We cannot boast in our accomplishments. We cannot boast in our victories. We cannot boast in our successes. It is all about his cross, which makes our righteousness possible. Apart from the cross, there's no Christianity. Apart from the cross, there is no freedom. Now, the cross performs two major services for us. First, the cross makes our vertical relationship with God possible. Second, the cross makes our horizontal relationships with others practical. The cross levels the playing field. Not one of us is better than the other because we all come to Christ the same way at the foot of the cross. Yet, we often approach our Christian lives as some sort of spiritual Olympics where we have to produce the best programs, the best ministries, the best testimonies, the best prayers, if we want to earn God's acceptance. Our accomplishments become medals we earn from God, and our failures plunge us into the depths of despair. When we boast in our spiritual Olympic medals, our boasting produces two problems of bondage. Problem number one, we become incapable of living with ourselves, of living with ourselves. We cannot accept God's forgiveness. We cannot accept our failures and our imperfections and get on with life. We become paralyzed by our faults and our failures. Problem number two, we become incapable of living with others. We become unforgiving, intolerant, and rigid, alienating the very ones we love. You can tell the churches who do not understand grace. There is no wobble room, only demands. These churches become rigid and cold, the antidote, my friends, is the grace of Christ permeating our everyday lives and demonstrated in our relationships with others. The message of Galatians is a vital message we all need to hear, especially in our performance-oriented, achievement-driven world. Freedom comes by faith in Christ. The story is told of a father who caught his son lying. He said, 
You know that I'm angry with you right now. I've told you before that if you lied to me again that you would be grounded for a week. But I'm going to ground you for a day. And he sent his son to his room to think about it. Later the father went up to the room and asked his son if he would like to go get an ice cream with him. Sitting at the table eating their banana splits, the father said to the son, You know that when I caught you lying, you deserve to be grounded for a week. The boy said, Yes. But you notice that you were only grounded for a day, the father said. Yes, his son replied. The father said, Son, that is mercy. That's mercy. And I want you to remember that lesson. Are you enjoying your ice cream? I sure am, the boy replied. Son, the ice cream is grace. Remember that, too. Friends, I enjoy the ice cream in my spiritual life, don't you? The book of Galatians is all about how to enjoy God's ice cream. It comes by faith in Jesus Christ. You can experience the ice cream in your Christian lives if you will accept his grace in place of your performance. Only then will you be free.